How many mics do we? Government, the other day. KMD, a third base of this Yeah, you got no style, so start three fads. Chicken wire, getting sick and tired of rap. Rapper's still an art, and no one's from the old school. Cause rapper's still a brand new tool, I say. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, back at it again. You have entered the same old new school on Vocalo Radio. I am one of your hosts, Idris Goodwin. And I'm your other host, Kevin Koval. Kevin, how you feel, man? Yeah, man, it's been a rough one for so many reasons, but you know, I'm I'm doing okay. It's it's great to chat with you. It's great to see you. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. But as you know, you know, we we talk about who the culture loses, but this has been a particularly uh, tough week. Yeah, I mean, 2020 is just like oh, on the way out. Here's a, here's for my last act. You know, I will. I must just go ahead and snatch up a couple more. So. You know, we lost Ecstasy of Houdini fairly recently, but then there was another brutal one to punch. First off, you know, we lost Shabadoo, the b-boy and actor Adolfo Quiones, a.k.a. Shabadoo, who was the star of Breaking and Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, passed rather suddenly. Rest in peace, man. What a loss. And, you know, prayers to his family and, and all of his fans, of which, you know, we certainly, I think, are are two of his fans. Oh, of course, man. Like, that movie, so Breaking comes out, what, in the mid-80s? Maybe, what, like, 85, something like that? Yeah, something like that. It's kind of like in that run of hip-hop films that are being released. I mean, this it's post-Wild Style, post-Style Wars, post-Beat Street, but it's certainly, like, in that moment. Yeah, uh, super producer Justin Mayer says 84. It was released. 84, man. That, Grady 4, and I remember that film very much. I remember, and I, you know, and of course, like, you know, he's Shabadu is like one of the first sort of incarnations, living embodiments, heroes of the culture that that goes sort of pop and mainstream. Him, uh, Lee Kion is along with Turbo, who is a boogaloo, boogaloo shrimp. Yeah, right. That's the great thing about breaking in some ways is that it is a distinctly West, you get like some of that West Coast flavor that, you know, the movie came out in 84, I probably saw it in 85 or something like that. You know, we've not really seen it before. So those styles of dance, Boogaloo and Ticking and all of the kind of that West Coast flavor that was coming from LA and the Bay, you know, we saw through the embodiment of, yeah, his colleague in the film, Turbo, who is more of a traditional B-boy, but Ozone. Uh, Shabadoo particularly was really doing like a lot of those like more hand popping. movements, yeah, yeah, more yeah. popping, um, you know, rerun, uh, the character rerun exactly. made it famous as well. But it's all in this moment where, you know, Ozone and Shabadoo, you know, the character Ozone is introducing this this West Coast style to the world. Well, what's cool about it, too, is um, <clears throat> after he passed, of course, I started watching clips and, you know, Breakin has one of my all time favorite scenes of any film, which is that, you know, there's th- just the language of the battle, the language of the B-boy battle This sort of, you know, it's got the energy of sort of like a gang fight or like West Side Story or something. And there's all this nonverbal communication and it's it's like fencing. It's like a they're really going at each other, but it's all through dance. Right. And there's a scene where like Ozone and Turbo go into the club and they battle this other crew. And then the other crew has a secret weapon. They launch this this young lady Girl. out yeah. who starts like taking them out and they look at each other like, oh, man. And then, of course, you know, Ozone starts falling in love with with I think her name is Kelly. And she's the she represents America like, you know, this whiteness in some yeah, ways. Well, like sort of that and, and also just like this mainstream American thing of like what is dance what is fine art what is success you know whatever because breaking was 
you know, still a very urban form. I mean, yes, it was a black and brown predominant form, but it was also a very urban form. You know, I remember in Detroit when people started like spitting on cardboard and stuff like that, but like the depth and the richness of the culture wasn't as rich as over there. So like Kelly sort of represents certainly mainstream white America, but she also embodies the country's sort of new fascination with what they call breakdancing at the time, which of course would come and go, sadly, but maybe, maybe not sadly. And so anyway, so Ozone and, and Kelly strike up this, uh, this, you know, that she joins the crew and she takes out the other young lady in, in a fabulous battle scene in the nightclub with a young iced tea rapping in it. Yeah, well, you know, and one of my favorite scenes in the second film is when Ice-T and the crew, Ozone, Turbo, Kelly, save the community center. That's right. They throw that, you know, kind of like neighborhood jam. That's right. And um, raise to, money. To raise money for the community and the community center, which I love. And Ice-T is rapping on that stage as well. And, you know, look, we're, we're about to get into another loss as well. But Shabadoo and, and Ozone is certainly... You know, I think someone who has to be considered a, a trailblazer, a pioneer of sorts. And isn't Ozone, isn't he also rocking like a Zorro hat kind of He's as well? Rocking it, the Zorro hat, much yeah. like ecstasy. Right, exactly. Which is, <laughs> It was part of what made them sort of iconic, right? It's yeah. like, you know, hip hoppers, especially in that era, they just sort of took from all elements of pop culture, yeah. you know? So they wanted to look like Funkadelic and they wanted to look like superheroes and they wanted to look like sports stars and they would sort of draw widely from everything. And, um, you know, yeah. it was a really lost era. So that's why I think it's, it's worth talking about and worth looking at because these guys were ambassadors for the culture. And um, no, I think that's a really good point. And, and, and again, I mean, that film did have resonance, you know, yeah. and, and those guys, I think, you know, could dance for real too. I mean, Absolutely. you know, like that, that style of it, I think it was like, you know, again, like this is something that, you know, this is 84, you know, 85. I mean, this is before the internet, this is before, you know, the flexibility, the democratic possibility of camcorders really, you know, how else can you see these forms, you know, That's really? Right. Yeah. Um, and so to understand that there is a different kind of b-boying that's taking place 3,000 some odd miles away from the East Coast and what's happening there. You know, we've talked about this. And I think one of the things we love about hip hop is the elasticity of the culture is that it, it kind of adopts, adapts into local forms really seamlessly. And at that time, I mean, I know that there is an origin tale of the culture, but there's also the seeds that you know, really do speak to the the import of locale. It really roots hip hop culture as a practice, roots in a city when it accounts for the practices that predate its arrival in that city too. And, and it incorporates yeah. that, you know, movement slang sound into uh, into the form. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And and so those those films to me are you know, there's one way of seeing them as just like popular entertainment, which is what I think the industry saw them as. But they are documents. I mean, they are important historical documents, you know, of of the evolution of the forms of the culture. Because, yeah, a lot of people studied them for the moves. They didn't care about Ozone and Kelly and, and, and their romance. After a while, you're like, right. what are those moves? You know, so um, right. anyway, rest right. in power to the OG, uh, yeah. Shabadoo. And uh, we appreciate all his contributions. Yeah, man. KC, you know, the second person we lost, another major figure, another pioneer, another icon who spanned many generations. This was a particularly rough one for me because this is this is a person that has been 
is almost always named in my top five and has been for a long time. The great metal face Doom, a.k.a. Doom, a.k.a. Zev Love X, a.k.a. Daniel Dumoulay, apparently passed on October 31st, but we got the news on the last day of the year, which is somewhat fitting, you know, with this mysterious character that that he was, but it really sent waves through through the whole world, really. Yeah, man, he's, he will be in my top five, you know, it, like depending on the, the day, you know, but spending time, you know, since we've heard the news, just going back and listening to the records, which I do a lot prior to this moment. I mean, there are some records of his and some songs of his that I, I just have, you know, in like a regular canon of stuff that I listen to, on, you know, pretty consistently. But you could argue, right, that, and, and I know we're going to kind of talk a little about the trajectory of his career, but when he returned as MF Doom, he came back at a moment where hip-hop, I think, was really trying to find itself, you know, post the early and mid-90s and the loss of Big and Pac. And I think hip-hop was in some sort of kind of conscious and soul-searching moment. And Doom reemerged, you know, in 98 and put out, you know, his his kind of first record under the moniker MF Doom in 99. In some ways, I feel like now, this is, of course, in hindsight, I feel like he was battling and ensuring and protecting the soul of the culture in some ways. And, and I feel like it lives on in his music that we're, I know, about to talk about and in his person. And, and this is a tremendous loss. It really is, man. But what an archive to leave behind. I mean, what a contribution to leave behind. And that that should really be an inspiration, I think, to everybody is like, you know, what is it, you know, when you're gone, you know, what do you have to leave behind, you know? And uh, his fierce, and, and what was really, what was really great about him, right, for me is he was independent. Like he was truly independent, not just like, okay, this label or that label. Cause he, he certainly worked that independent label system pretty well, which is why he had all the different monikers, you know, King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah, take me to your leader. Quick to claim that he not no snake like me neither. They need to take a breather. He been rhyming longer than Sigmund the sea creature. Uh, Victor Vaughn. Boom, my cousin's friend, friend want to meet me. Saw V on TV. Said she needs a sweetie. Heard he was the type to do her name in graffiti. And greet her with a kiss. Danger doom. That isn't the fire. A fryer made a chicken wire. Getting sick and tired of a friggin' liar. Pelican with some very soft mangoes. A closet full of skeletons and terry cloth candles. Because it's also him working the system a little bit. Similar to Wu-Tang in a way of like, you know, we, we're going to bum rush this industry. And this is an industry that really kind of did him dirty. Which is like, you know, sort of previous to him showing up in the mask, in the stocking mask at New Eureka Poets Cafe shortly before Operation Doomsday comes out and nobody knows who he was. That's right. You know, he was on Electra Records. He was, you know, he first appears as Zev Love X and the group KMD on a on a, the gas face, you know, third base, you know, they're on Def Jam Records and, you know, he's signed to Electra, him and his brother Subrock and KMD and everything's going swimmingly. You know, this is the era of Tribe Called Quest and leaders of the new school and native tongues. And so you can be this young, eccentric, eclectic, rapidly rap, you know, black kid, you know, and not, you know, sort of be on the gun toting tip or the gold chain tip. And, you know, he loses his brother in an accident, car accident. And then- in 90, 93, I think, right? Yeah, Sub and then shortly thereafter, shortly thereafter, KMD's second album, Black Bastards, it has this controversial cover 
featuring like a minstrel character or like sort of a, a, a Sambo character, big quotes around that, being hung from a noose. And the title of the album, it looks like a hang, like hangman markings, like a game of hangman. And that, that is, that covers too hardcore for electric records. And so they drop KMD. So he loses his record deal and he loses his brother and disappears and then just sort of reemerges. But when he reemerges, he doesn't reemerge just saying like, yo, industry, y'all did me wrong, right? It's all becomes this metaphor of like, I'm this, I'm this villain. I'm this person that's scarred and I got to wear a mask and I'm going to sort of create this universe almost that only I really know the depth of. And I'm going to share with you what I care to share with you, but you only get a taste of it. And so the way he sort of not it's not just that he's fiercely independent and he's producing his own stuff and all of that it's that he sort of says i'm going to not necessarily be anti-industry as like an identity i'm just going to create my own universe using the tools of hip-hop using the true tools of hip-hop which is the sampler you know the turntable my pen my name you know and my creativity my imagination and it's been sort of consistent since, you know, Operation Doomsday comes out in like 98, you know, so that's what, like 30 years, Yeah, you know, like 30 yeah. years of consistent, just like I'm in my own universe, I'm wearing the mask, you know, and this is, this is what it is. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about all of the gems that he, he did leave. You know, for those just tuning in, uh, this is Same Old New School on Vocalo Radio. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Koval. And I am Idris Goodman. You're right, man. You know, I think one of the things that he certainly has left behind is that he is a master of collage. You know, that that both in the, the piecing together of his identity, his mythological identity, and then what he's done on wax, you know, that doomsday itself, but also up to, you know, through through the totality of his career. But I'm also thinking of the food joint and the Mad Villain record, which we'll talk about. You know, he really is piecing together a universe of sound, you know, old noir and black exploitation films, you know, sonically pulling out Sun Ra records and funk records, sampling earlier hip hop. And he does that with his identities, right? That he comes back as MF Doom, but he has, you know, these heteronyms that appear on other projects as well, you know, and, and he reminds me, uh, there's a, um, I think it's a Spanish poet named Fernando Pessoa would publish under all these different names to get these different styles out. And this is like in the, the beginning of last century or something like that. And it, that's on some doom too, you know? Oh yeah, um, definitely. And, and to, you know, to bring you bring up that poet, I mean, you know, there was a real literary understanding that he had that, that he was, you know, his albums were always conceptual as hell. They were always so rich and layered. And, you know, and that goes back to even KMD. I mean, I was revisiting KMD in preparation for our conversation. And, you know, Mr. Hood is very conceptual. It's got this running story of this sort of character named Mr. Hood who walks into this barbershop. On the hills of my chinny chin chin, got many plus plenty. String by string, I think I count like 20. If you loan me an ear, I'm returning with interest. If not, I'll simply twist your wrist. So listen up close. You know, and it's, it's real playful, but that's the concept of that. Black Bastards is very much a commentary on sort of race and exploitation. Pick out sticks 
which you know ironically they get dropped from this record label and then you know operation doomsday on through is like they're always very conceptual and he writes so much in the third person so many of his lines are like he it's saying he holds the mic like this or like he does this or he'll say villain does that or villain does this and you know and i heard him in an interview with chairman mao at the red bull academy talking like literally like oh well this character's like this and like victor vaughn's like this and you know and to me it hit me like oh man how freeing is that as an artist because so much of rap the sort of go-to with rap is it's the I voice. This happened. This is my real life. This is this, this is this, this and this, this is this. And for Doom, it's like, I've got this infinite, you know, he's like Stan Lee in a way, right? Oh, absolutely. He's like Stan Lee. He he said, he said in an interview, I think in in Wired or something like that, he says, I'm, I'm quoting, he says, I'm an author. It just so happens that what I write is in rhythmic form and it's over music. So for me, to get different points across, just like an author would in a novel, I come with different characters, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, you see that in, in his career and you see that, you, I would say you also see that even w- within different projects, which is, you know, so fascinating. And I know we kind of want to talk about like his projects specifically a little bit. I mean, you remember him on the gas fade. What it would do, like, I, I have like a vivid memory because I love Third Bass, the Cactus album right. was an important record, but the gas face, was an important record because it was a battle record that went kind of that crossed over a little bit. Yeah, right. You know, and his verse was great. And the introduction was, you know, just giant, you know, because they had Don Newkirk, you know, his yeah. uh, search's label mate, introduce Zeb Love X. And then he came in. And the, the song that they sampled later that became another song was, uh, you know, KMD at third base is just ace of the whole, I mean soul. And I even wonder if like, you know, Doom is given so many styles, so many poetic gems to the culture. I wonder even if that was one of them early on that like, I mean, like I meant to say like, you know, Wayne does that a lot, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like, oops, like, yeah, I mean, exactly. you know, and this is the beginning, you know, cause that's his first real introduction to a, to a popular audience. Um, you know, first time I heard him on wax. Uh, and, and even and, then, right. If there's no sort of like young MC type of, you know, um, Hey everybody, my name is the, you know, again, it's, it's a very particular and very nuanced, like you got to really listen, like you got to really listen to get the brilliance of his work. And that's why he was such a rapper's rapper, because, you know, it's that art of, of the chat, of the candor, of the very particular rapport or the approach to dialect or approach to language. And it just felt so, so authentic and so not put on. You know, you hear songs with him and like Royce Defy. There's a great song with him and Royce Defy, Nine Infante from the Prime album. Such absurd verbs do not disturb. Blurb slip to the curb. He's not the first herb written on a mirror. Blurred rap guys is by and by like flies on a turd. Primo and Royce surprise him out of eye in his skirt. He just he just always sounds like a get like he always sounds like he just fell from another universe like onto yeah. a song, you know. And and from throughout his career, even in his Love X days, and I I encourage everybody too, man, to, to check out that KMD Black Bastards album because nice. I, I think yeah. it's really kind of like kind of low-key the first Doom album 
it's like a prelude. I mean, Mr. Hood doesn't, you know, has moments, flourishes, but Black Bastards is really similar. Like the style of production is darker than Mr. Hood. Yeah, but that's the thing about him that I think makes him so distinctive is is just the wordplay. It's just like it was never predictable. It was always surprising and strange, but like really human and funny at times. He would just slip these little little asides in there and and like, you know, little little winks at you, you know, like he's I'm this super villain, but I'm also just like a dude, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's his Peter Parker, right? Yeah. Like he like he he is that super villain and he's also, you know, Daniel Dumoulin, right? Like he has his everyday persona. You know, one of my favorite songs, and you know this, is his uh, guest appearance on De La Soul's The Grind Day. One of the things that I love about that record is that it reminds me of that the Tick Tick song he has because the beat gets slower and faster. Yeah, that's right. And so that style of, of kind of riding the beat is incredible. But he has a phrase on there that I've, I've held. I actually, it's written on the front of my computer. And he says, you know, pay dues forever, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something that Doom was always doing because he had such a thorough work ethic it seemed yeah. because he just he gave us so many incredible records whatever is the uh, top level of black belt he had this and this in the pen but something that you've talked a lot about the idea of non sequitur you know oh, yeah. being something that is fundamental to the poetics of the aesthetic oh yeah yeah definitely like it's sort of the recreation of the experience of freestyling so you know when you freestyle it becomes about it's about flow it's about flow. It's about the moment. And it's about allowing and, and really like I'm showing you who I am by showing you all the different records in my head I can pull from. And so he was the master of sort of blending so many different aesthetics and worlds together just based on his sort of cultural awareness. Um, I was listening. I was really struck today on a walk. I was on listening to uh, the Danger Doom album. And there's that song, Sofa King. And, you know, it starts very much like your typical braggadocio rapper vibe, right? It says, scared of a bunch of water, then get out the rain, order a rapper for lunch and spit out the chain, then kick a lungy off the tip of his timbo and trick a honey dip into a game of strip limbo. Scared of a bunch of water, then get out the rain, order a rapper for lunch and spit out the chain. Then kick a lungy off the tip of his timbo and trick a honey dip into a game of strip limbo. And so it's that kind of thing that we sort of expect. But then later in the song, you know, then he says, uh, to all fake rappers, 23 skadoo. To all fake rappers, 23 skadoo. 23 skadoo is like white slang from the 50s. You know what I mean? So even then, it's like, I'm still going to kind of nerd out. I'm still going to be yeah. kind of this old soul that just carries with him all these different references. So I'm not even just going to do the typical, like, I'm a better rapper than you. It's like, I'm also going to kind of really style out and kind of give you a sense of the depths and range yeah, the, of my the breath, experience. The breath of yeah. me. You know, my favorite Doom record and and probably a top five record of all time is, is the Mad Villain record. And on the song Money Folder, Mm -hmm. He says he's got enough style to start three fads. You could say that, you know, times 
50 for Doom, right. you know? Yeah. You know, one, that record that he did with Mad Lib. On any Doom record, there's really nothing skippable. But yeah. the Mad Villain record is a kind of, of masterpiece because he doesn't have the burden of doing everything himself. And I think right. that partnership with Mad Lib is so crucial because he understands that collage aesthetic and practices it himself. So to have, you know, some of the best minds of the generation coming together to make what is just an incredible and incredibly beautiful and heartbreaking and dark and hilarious record. It is kind of like his opera in that sense, you know, like yeah, he was dramatic in that sense. It was like, you know, his Phantom of the Opera type of, of joint. And uh, yeah, man, it's just so many gems. I, I, uh, I revisited that album recently as well. And this is something I've never noticed before. He says, he says, uh, had your fam saying, please make me a dub. Well, since you asked so kindly. So he's having a two-way, he's having a two-way conversation in the in the middle of like a couplet, you know, yeah. just just his shifts in in candor, where it's like I'm narrator and now I'm in the scene, and now I'm the other people. So it's like I'm narrating about this guy named Doom or whoever. And now I'm him in the scene, in the moment. And now I'm like the other person. <laughs> and he puts no, and he doesn't like blow it out. He doesn't really put on it like a crazy voice. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, you know, it's all rewind factor stuff. So I've been going, I'm big on, this has been a tough one for me because I've had to think about what is my all-time favorite Doom album. And I love them all for so many different reasons. Because he's been such a like, he's like so many of my own creative journeys and, and chapters and experiences are marked by doom albums and for me it's got to be operation doomsday only yeah. because i first experienced that record like probably around 2000 2001 and and i heard some things on mixtapes and at the time i was like really kind of beginning my serious creative like i want to try to be an artist i want to try to be like an independent creative and I've been listening to rap my whole life and it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. In a way, it was kind of a return to sort of the the more open, expressive creativity of the late 80s, early 90s. And to your point, yeah, at 99, 2000, hip hop was becoming so gross and shiny and not, and still cool, but just like the sort of raw creativity of Wu-Tang and so many other people, it's just, we were, the, and so to find this this thing you know, that was so alien and strange. And that song, Hey, where he samples the Scooby-Doo theme music. I only play the games that I win at and stay the same with more rhymes and it's ways to skin cats. As a matter of fact, let me rephrase. With more rhymes and ways to fill a feline. And yeah, tick, tick, boom. And I was obsessed with rhymes like dimes. In his right hand was your man's worst nightmare. Loud enough to burst his right ear drum close range. The game is not only dangerous, but it's most strange. I sell rhymes like dimes. The one who most I was obsessed with uh, the song Question that he has with Curious. And I've always been struck by the last verse he has about his brother, where he says, uh, like my twin brother, we did everything together from a hundred raka salats to cop and butter leathers. Remember when you went and got the dark blue ballys? I had 
had all the different color kazals and gazalis, the sub-rock three-finger ring with the ruby in the O-Ock, truly the illest dynamic duo on the whole block. I keep a flick of you with the machete sword in your hand. Everything is going according to plan, man. Like my twin brother, we did everything together from hundred ricots and lots to cop and butter leathers. Remember when you went and got the dark blue ballys? I had all the different color kazals and kazalis, the sub-rock three-finger ring with the ruby in the O-Ock, truly the illest dynamic duo on the whole block. I keep a flick of you with the machete sword in your hand. Everything is going according to plan, man. Man, you knew on Doomsday and the song, you know, Doomsday, which I think samples Sade or something, yeah, something does. like that. Yeah. In the chorus, he also references his brother, who he was mentioning a ton. Yeah. You know, till I'm back where my brother went. Yeah. That's what my tomb will say. Right mm. above my government, Dumalay, either unmarked or engraved. Hey, who's to say? Mm. You know, and, and it's just it's eerie. Till I'm back where my brother went, that's what my tomb will say. Right above my government, Dumalay, either unmarked or engraved. Hey, who's to say? And one of the things that I read is that you know one of the reasons why he came back. His model of getting through a loss like that of a brother was, you know, one of his heroes, KRS-One, and, and, the, and the loss oh. of DJ Scott LaRock. And, and it, you know, now that Doom is back with his brother, Subrock, it's just, it's a very sad, but obviously like reflective moment and a giant, just a giant loss for the culture. But, you know, there's all of these gems to fill Such in and to continue to fuel us. Uh, yeah, and, man. He left he left us with so many. And we're still deciphering those records, man. He made classics, man. Seriously. People say that, but, you know, Operation Doomsday has just, it's like the jazz albums, man. He left, a, he knew what he was doing. He was not just this kind of wild kind of ODB type, you know, oh, no, you know, no. he was, he was a very methodical and, and a true artist of hip hop, man. And he remains my favorite and most important it's like you can't talk about me without bringing up doom at some point there's yeah. there's no way around it so he was a futurist you know and and, yeah, and i no think question. someone who you know he just uh, chanted sun ra's name on the mad villain record and he he definitely lives in the future and someone who will continue to unravel his meaning for you know years and years and years to come for sure man all right, rest in power, metal face. Yeah. And uh, thank you all for joining us for another another episode, this very special episode. Y'all stay up. Thank you. Shout out Vocalo Radio and shout out Super Producer Justin Mayer. Peace. Peace. Peace.